This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. We're in this series, part two. Travis kicked us off last week with getting to know you. And we're looking at these markers of relationship formation, romantic relationship formation. How do they start? How do they form? How do they grow? And we're trying to bring some clarity to the confusion of our world. And I am so grateful to God for his word when it comes to romantic relationships so we know uh, how to move forward. And today we're looking at compliments, quality time, and attraction, the next three markers. Uh, Amy and I were in New York last week, and we went, the two of us, to our first unisex bathroom. Not experienced this yet. And we walked into a a doorway, said restrooms above it, and I just assumed when we walked in, men would go to the right, women would go to the left. Nope. We all walked in, and just stalls just right there for everyone, and we just stood there for a moment. Like, I I know the rules in a men's room. You get the urinal furthest away from the other guy, but I've never gone to the bathroom with my wife, so I'm trying to figure out... What does this look like? And we're t- people are walking by us, looking at us like we're the weird ones. <laughs> and I find one guy looked at me and was like, what's your problem, man? And I'm like, hey, we're from the Midwest. Give us a little bit of time here. Uh, we don't have these there. So, uh, and my wife says to me, get the, get the one all the way down there, farthest away from me. I said, Amy, no, I'm not letting some stranger sit between us in a stall. Uh, so we got stalls right next to each other. And when I'm when I, it was, I was trying to make it as romantic as possible. Let's just say that. It was our anniversary trip. And so I, when I get nervous, I do one of two things. I either tell jokes or I sing. And it didn't feel like an appropriate time to tell jokes, so I started singing. And I'm sitting in the stall next to Amy singing, Shall we gather at the river where bright angel feet have trod? It, and then we go out... <laughs> We wash our hands. We're all, it's just everybody together. It's so weird. I'm not used to it. And I'm like, Amy, how is that for you? Okay, I'm still not real comfortable with all of this. And I'm grateful that God's word gives us clarity in all of the confusion that we see around us today. And today and through this series, we're putting romantic relationships under a microscope to see how they form and how they grow. And speaking of romantic relationships... uh, can we give them their space, please, people? Uh, but there, yeah, it's a love story, baby, just say yes. Okay, so that's all you're getting from me, from Taylor Swift. But we know this about romantic relationships. Every romantic relationship starts with chemistry, attraction, and desire. But what you need to see as we move through the first two chapters of the Song of Songs, and actually through the whole book of the Song of Songs, we're just looking at the first two chapters in this series, you're going to see intensity. Right? We're moving from chemistry on to character and to commitment. And if you're looking for commitment in relationship, it doesn't flow from chemistry. It flows from character. And you're going to see this progression in the book. And we have to be very careful because we get a lot of our understanding of relationships from movies. And there are some things that are only in the movies. Do you know what I'm talking about? I watch movies all the time. I'm like, that's not real life. I'll give you an example. The couple that wakes up from a dead sleep and they start making out. Mm -mm. No, no. You get a Sprite or some scope or something. 
That, no, you don't do that. Or how about this one, eating out to fine dining every night? Yeah, no, break the bank. You can't afford it. Or the couple that snuggles all day in a Manhattan apartment. Uh, every time I see a couple snuggling all day and I look at Amy in a movie, I'm like, that, don't get your hopes up. I got a job. Can I get an amen on that one? I can't sit around snuggling all day. Or how about this one? I want the guys to try this one today. The guy's working in the kitchen and he takes the sprayer from the faucet and his wife walks by and in a playful way, he just kind of sprays her. And, and 10 minutes later, they're being romantic. I want you to try that today, guys, when you get home and see where you are 10 minutes later. I guarantee you that ain't romance. Only in the movies. Some of you have have walked through this before. And some of you think about a romantic relationship series and you think to yourself, I don't want it. I've been on the ride before and I, I, it's broken. Ted, I, I, I'm thinking about marriages that didn't work. I'm thinking about boyfriend, girlfriend, didn't work. And when you think about taking another ride on a romantic relationship, you think about this from the playground we all grew up with. You knew every time you went on here, someone was getting hurt. You see the playgrounds today. The playgrounds today, mm -mm, they're not real. They got like sunshades. Parents today are concerned about their children getting sunburned. Did you see one sunshade on a playground when you were growing up? No. All I remember is the goal here was to throw somebody off. See how fast someone get hurt. You walk your buddy over with a dislocated shoulder to the teachers all leaning up against the building. I think he dislocated his shoulder. Well, get him to the nurse's station and... Uh, that's how we grew up. And there are some of you that will listen today and say, I'm not getting back on this ride. I'm not doing it. There's too much heartbreak. I've been hurt too much. I've been asking young people, 18, 19, 20 years old, and then some of the uh, older in our church have participated in this through a social media post here and there. But I've been asking this question of young people. What are some red flags on a first date that would keep you from going on a second date? Because what I've seen is this confusion between chemistry and character. This confusion between, oh, we have sparks and we have good attraction, but then there are some things in dating we need to really inspect, and it's primarily character. And, and I love the answers that I've received. I have over 100 of them collected over the years, and I, I'm not going to obviously share. I'm going to give you like my, my favorite seven, and I want you to participate. As I share one of these, what now I've been told, this is a red flag on a first date that would keep me, Ted, from going on a second date. And I want you to see if you agree. We've had a lot of fun with this in the first gathering. Number one, rude to wait staff. There's a server right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll tell you a lot about a person's character, how they treat people. So that's always good to inspect. Number two, I love this one. Pay very close attention. Number two, ain't good at grammar. See, it gets a little muddier. I, I don't think you need to have someone with great grammar to have a great relationship. Number three, no sense of humor. Look at ah, Some people are going, no, that's not a big deal. Yes. And you know when you go on an online dating site and check the box, I'm looking for someone with a sense of humor, you're not looking for someone that's going to tell you jokes the rest of your life. You're looking for someone, this is what it means to have a sense of humor, someone that laughs at themselves and invites you in. They don't take themselves too seriously. Number four, red flag on a first date that would keep you from going on a second date, says, I love you. 
that's moving pretty fast, right? That's my friend Steve, my senior year of college, he was getting himself psyched up one night. He said, tonight's the night I'm going to tell her. Been dating a while. I'm going to tell her I love you. And I go, well, you go get her. Get, get, go, Steve. I'm cheering you on. He came back into the room that night with his head down. I said, how'd it go? He said, I said, I love you. What'd she say? Thank you. <laughs> That's how you know it's too soon. Give me your answer to this. Is this a red flag? Shows up drunk. Yeah. That, that's a red flag to leave the first date if you need help with that from your pastor. Don't, don't even get in the car, obviously, but leave the first date. And today you're going to see a lot of the Hebrew term, run, run, if you're dating someone like that. How about number six, interrupts your stories? Ah, you're not as committed. Number seven, invites you to hot tub. And in order to do so, you have to break into a hotel. Had two staff members after the first gathering tell me that's just called growing up in Branson. <laughs> if he asks you to bring a swimsuit on the first date, the answer is no. All right, you're like, Ted, come on, lighten up. So you see, though, some of those were chemistry. Some of it was character. And you can see why this is so important and why we're moving in the book from chemistry to character to commitment what is the most important question to ask about character? What's the most important question? It's this right here. Does the person I am dating walk with Jesus and keep Scripture in the driver's seat? You know what isn't a great question? Is this person a Christian? That's not a great question. It doesn't answer enough. You want to know, does this person walk with Jesus? Does this, is this person sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? And when the difficult seasons and stages of life and our marriage come... Is this person going to be led by emotion, by experience, or will this person be led by Scripture? You want to decide that early on. So dating, we're big fans of dating at Woodland Hills Family Church. Dating is spending quality time together. You go on a few dates, they go well, there's no red flags, so you keep going on some dates. But dating needs to move in a direction where you're doing several things. Number one, you're examining character. How does this person, man or woman, treat the wait staff? That tells you a lot about who they are. How do they tip? Oh, let's go there for just a second. That'll tell you a lot about generosity. How do they talk about their parents? Respect for authority begins at home. And if you want someone who's going to be able to keep a job, you're going to want someone who knows how to respect authority. Look, I, whoever you are visiting, I just love y'all. That uh, All right, will you please come back at 1145? Anyway, yeah. I mean, so there's a lot. You're inspecting character, then there's a lot of markers within that. Number two, and we're going to talk a lot about this today, you need to define the relationship. And a lot of young people today believe, no, just keep it fluid, all sorts of terms we can look at, hooking up and all of that, but just don't define it because when it falls apart, you won't hurt so bad. But you're going to see the value today in the Scripture of defining the relationship and moving to exclusivity. See, desire says, I want you. Exclusivity says, I want only you. And defining the relationship is important. We're going to talk about how that conversation can be difficult. And then very, very important, establish boundaries. This is part of character as well. And we're actually going to look at this more next week when, when we read, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And next week we're going to look at uh, eight markers inside of one marker on uh, meaningful touch. And we're going to save nine through 12 for the marriage bed. 
And we're going to see that sexual touch and sexual relationship between a man and a woman is reserved for the marriage bed between a husband and a wife. So we establish those boundaries. You want someone who knows how to honor that. So let's move into this as we look at these three markers today. And I want you to see this. More than flattery, more than flattery, compliments are clues in defining the relationship. More than games, more than little tests that we can throw out there to see where the relationship's at. When you begin complimenting, and beyond you are beautiful, beyond you are special, you're going to see how specific Solomon gets to the Shulamite woman in verse 9. And we're going to pick up where Travis left off last week as he was dealing with the insecurity of the Shulamite woman. And we're going to see that compliments go directly to the insecurity of your spouse. And he says in verse 9, beautiful word picture, I liken you, my darling, to a horse (laughs) among Pharaoh's chariot horses. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Now, if you've had our Devo set here at the church that we have for kids, that is the M in our series, Song of Songs, chapter 1 verse 9. And the talk time is to compare a woman to a horse is never a good idea in our day. (laughs) Because this is Hebrew poetry set in a very specific culture, but the lessons from it are very clear for us today. But when Solomon compared his soon-to-be wife to a horse, he was honoring her. When he likened his lover to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots, he was using an emotional word picture to tell her that she was the most important woman in his life. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 26, we read that he had 12,000 horses, 1,400 chariots. And in that day, to compare a woman to a horse, because you move into verse 10, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewel. He's talking here now about the costly harnesses that they would put on horses. And he said, we will adorn you likewise. But he's saying, think of all the other chariots that come with Pharaoh, okay, and all of the stallions that are pulling those horses. You are with me, and you stick out. You are special. He goes on in verse 11. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. His compliment is more than flattery. His compliment is saying, hey, of all the women out there, you are the one. It's a compliment of exclusivity. And we have a great word picture to help you understand this better. And it is found in country music. No other genre of music is going to explain this to us better than Brad Paisley and his song, The World. And listen to it. To the teller down at the bank, you're just another checking account. To the plumber that came today, you're just another house. At the airport ticket counter, you're just another fare. At the beauty shop at the mall, well, you're just another head of hair. That's all right. That's okay. You don't feel important, honey. All I've got to say is to the world, you may just be another girl, but to me, I love it, baby, you are the world. Oh, at the end of the song, get ready for this. Ready? You think you're one of millions. That's exactly what we read last week. In the sea of women, you think you're lost. No, you're not lost on me. And this is what I loved about what Travis shared last week. Let your spouse, gentlemen, be your source of beauty. Let her be your standard of beauty. Okay? But you're one in a million to me. That's exactly, exactly what Solomon is saying to the Shulamite woman in our first three verses today. When you wonder if you matter, baby, look into my eyes and tell me, can't you see? You're everything to me. Our friends at All Pro Dad put it this way, nothing works its way to the core of a woman's heart like the right words from the man she loves. Mm. 
A good match is a good start. Chemistry is good, but you eventually need to define the relationship. Examine the character, define the relationship. So I want to talk about it because this is called DTR. And how do you have the conversation from when we met to when it's official? Look at me losing my, that's the athlete pastor you got there. I lost my balance pointing to a screen. From it's a, from, from here we met to it's official, it's like an old, I heard this illustration this week, I thought it was brilliant. It's like an old, creaky, scary bridge. But it's a conversation we must have in defining the relationship. It can be challenging. It can be difficult. It can be unnerving. And most people won't have this conversation until they're pretty sure where the relationship stands. I heard one Penn State professor say it this way this week. The more uncertain you are, the more reluctant you are to have the defining the relationship conversation. Because some of you are like, I've had it before, and it felt more like this. I've walked across the bridge before, Ted, and it didn't go well. I've had the conversation before. So let's just talk about it, because this is where this book, Song of Songs, is moving, from chemistry to character to commitment. And so you have to talk about defining the relationship. And there's three factors that keep a lot of us from having this conversation early on in relationship formation. It's risk. You don't know how it's going to turn out. Uncertainty. I I read one report this week that said you won't, like 63% of people will not have the conversation until they know for sure what the answer is, after they've given all the clues. And some of you are like, that's why the, the, how we met to, we're now official as a couple, feels a lot like games. Sometimes it can feel like drama, but there's a better path forward. For risk, we just have to take on courage. We have to step up and be willing to have the conversation. It'll bring clarity and it'll give us answers. It may not give you the answer you want, though. That's the hard part. I know most are going to go into the defining the relationship conversation, obviously looking for answer number one. We are a couple. So I can now tell family and friends, we are a couple. Have you ever walked up to a young couple you've seen together for a while and like, hey, are you guys dating? (laughs) I wouldn't call it dating. Okay. Is he your boyfriend? I wouldn't. I wouldn't use that term. Okay. What is it? And some of you, you just haven't had the conversation, the defining the relationship, and you get the answer, we are the couple, and it's a signal to family and friends, and it's moving you toward exclusivity. But some of you may get this answer right here. You're moving too fast, saying, I love you on a first date. Right? You're just moving too fast. doesn't mean we won't be a couple, but just not right now. I'm enjoying dating you. I'm enjoying the direction this is headed, but you just need to slow it down. I'm not talking family planning on the second date. It's too soon. But then here's one that some of you have had the defining the relationship. It feels like that old bridge and you've had missteps. The board was taken out from underneath you because you got this answer right here. We don't want the same thing. And maybe some of you need the courage in this series to be able to say, it's time for me to walk away from the relationship because I am pursuing marriage and the person I'm with doesn't want marriage. The person I'm with doesn't want exclusivity. They want to keep it loose. They just want to have fun And if they say they want something different, I just hope that this series, short as it is, four parts, I hope some of you will get the courage to have the defining the relationship conversation and know, yes, we're moving forward. This is where it ends. And we're not a church that's trying to break people up, but we do know there's a lot of relationships that need a breakup. And by the way, when I say this, you know I'm talking about dating relationships. 
talking about couples and dating relationships. Because I'm here to tell you, I used this illustration in the first gathering, and I, I, I said we may not use it, but it just seems like a weird illustration. But marriage is a lot like COVID. <laughs> See, it's awkward, I know, but stick with me for just a second. COVID didn't cause a lot. COVID revealed a lot. Right? And people said, well, my business or my marriage or my church, my city, my country. My, okay, no, it just, it, it really revealed where you were at as we dealt with the effects of it. Because my, my marriage grew stronger through COVID. Some marriages didn't, and I get that. But I, I just want to encourage the young budding love in here. Because we're, in this series, we're talking about young budding love, and we're talking about well-established vineyards. And for those of you in young budding love, you're dating. Now, let me tell you, if he's intimidating now in the relationship, marriage won't make that better. Run. If he's controlling and manipulating now, marriage will not make that better. Run. You need to understand, like, well, I just got to give him time. Now, this is, I have to be careful here because I also know that marriage can mature us. I say it all the time. You can get married young and grow up together, but there needs to be a commitment to that growth. There needs to be a commitment to that maturity. And some of you need to begin thinking about this, defining the relationship conversation. And here's the next marker on quality time. And I, I need my senior adults, those who have been married for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, to lean in on this. When I think about you and when we spend quality time together, I am refreshed. Travis said it, I think, three times in the message last week. What was natural early on needs to be intentional later on. So what we're talking about with this marker, you're going to see with young dating couples who have chemistry and attraction and sparks flying, and it's like breathing. But after you've been married for a while, you have to be intentional with it. And you know the heart of this church is not, marriage is hard, it's difficult, it's painful, it will suck the life right out of you. <laughs> we say marriage requires you to be intentional. Take these markers for those who've been married for a while. And I want to ask you the question, if you've been married 20, 30, 40, 50 years, are you a refreshing spouse? When your spouse thinks about you, are they refreshed? Look at, the, look at some of the people going, don't think about this for another person. Think about this for yourself right now. <laughs> but you've been around the couple that's no fun to be around. <laughs> you are my favorite. Amy and I have been to dinner with couples, and we're like, never again. That was painful. That was painful. They're not refreshing each other. They're not refreshing us. That should have been in an office somewhere, not at dinner. And they need an intensive. Oh, watch what happens in verses 12 through 14 about this quality time and even the thought process. The Shulamite woman says in verse 12, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. So now we're going to get this great word picture and the sense of smell with verse 13, my beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. And in that day, what the women would do to perfume their body, they would go to sleep with a sachet of myrrh, a pouch of myrrh resting between their breasts. They would go to sleep smelling it, would fill their nostrils. And it's this idea of just as myrrh fills my nostrils, so does the thoughts of Solomon. I can't get him out of my head. I go to sleep thinking about him. I dream about him. I wake up thinking about him. And all throughout the day, I can't stop thinking about him. That's a refreshing spouse. When you're not with your spouse, is your spouse refreshed thinking about getting back together with you? Mm. How many of you remember fighting when you were early on in a relationship over who was going to hang up the phone first? 
Let me ask you, old people, when's the last time you fought over that? You remember Amy and I, we from our dorm rooms at Liberty University would call one another, and then she'd be like, okay, we got to get to sleep. I'm like, yeah, you hang up. No. I'm not hanging up the phone. You hang up this phone right now. Right? You got that like angry baby voice. And now watch an old couple on the phone and like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Are your thoughts of your spouse refreshing you or are they draining you? Will you commit in this series to do the work, to be intentional with becoming a refreshing spouse? Because we get this now in verse 14. It moves beyond just my thoughts to the time we spend together. My beloved to me is a cluster of henna blossoms, a little white flower from the vineyards of Engedi. And Engedi is this lush desert oasis that rejuvenates, refresh, replenishes relaxes us. And listen, we, Amy and I view the world as the desert. We spend all day in it and we come home. Let our home be the place that we don't sit in the driveway and be like, Lord, give me one good reason why I should go in there right now. <laughs> I want my home to be a place where I can't wait to get through those doors. And I know we're empty nesters. I don't want to brag about it because there's some with young children. I'm looking at this family with young children on the road. You got to find ways to refresh yourself. Make the bedtime earlier. Right? Make them sleep in. Put them in a room where you can't hear them when they do wake up. <laughs> but we've made the commitment in our home to be a refreshing home. Will you make that commitment, husband and wife? Again, that when we say what's natural early on needs to be intentional later on, to young budding love, those who are dating, engaged, or newlyweds, this is still pretty easy for you. But I want to tell you, in the defining the relationship conversation, you need, to talk, you need to ask yourself the question of the person you're dating right now. Are they refreshing? That's an important thing. Remember what she said last week, right? The thought of Solomon, just his name refreshed her. His character refreshed her. That's why these conversations are so important. So that's the quality time. And now let's look at this last marker today. Attraction looks at the beauty inside and out. Oh, I love when Travis said, that, let your standard of beauty be that of your spouse. And it is. It is. You're not one of millions. You're one in a million to me. And you're the only one I think about. You're the only one I want to have an image in my head. Uh, verse 15, here's what he says. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are, doves. And in that day, beautiful eyes meant beautiful character, beautiful soul. The eyes were a window into the soul. So they're moving from beauty on the outside to beauty on the inside. And, and when I think about you, your outward looks, and listen, as your beauty fades, again, at 50 years old, I am not Red Lobster's fresh catch of the day. 100% get that. And this is, as Tim Hawkins says, this is as good as it's ever going to get. It's all downhill from here. I can't do a whole lot about this. I try. I don't try all that hard, but you know what I'm saying. I've resorted to vest and untucked black shirts. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the inside, I have a lot to say about. And the inside, you have a lot to say about. As your beauty fades on the outside, I hope your beauty is growing on the inside. In 1 Peter, we read this, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. So please hear me. Everybody's like, what? Uh, 
no more Sephora? Hold on a second. This is, not a this is not prohibiting you from dressing in nice clothes. This is not prohibiting you from wearing jewelry. This is not prohibiting you from wearing makeup. What he is saying is don't let this be your source of beauty. Go far beyond this. Verse 4, rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. I love this line, which is of great worth in God's sight. And that's something all of us can do something about in here. Growing our beauty on the inside. Making sure that is of great worth in God's sight. And as beauty fades, let the inside be growing more. So then she says back to him. And you understand, if you're new to this book of Hebrew poetry, this Song of Songs, it's, it's this duet. Solomon and the Shulamite woman sing these lyrics back and forth. The daughters of Jerusalem are backstage singing back up. So she sings the lyric back to him. How handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how here it is again. Now the inside. How charming. She moves from the outside in speaking of his personality, that it is growing on the inside. And our bed is verdant. It's green and lush. So this is very important. So we've got all these great word pictures about the home. You need to understand here she's speaking of their marriage bed. They're not yet married until chapter 3. They have their honeymoon in chapter 4. We're going to read next week in chapter 2. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Sex is reserved for the marriage bed between a husband and a wife. You know we're clear on that at this church. We aren't into the hookup culture. We are into building toward exclusivity in marriage and saving the marriage bed for sexual intimacy. And she says, I see you as handsome, and here it is again, charming. I love your personality. And then verse 17, we'll end with this. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. And she's speaking here, he's speaking here of this mansion of security. Our house that we're not yet in together are cedars and firs. And so bottom line is this, of all we've talked about today, building security from verse 17, defining the relationship, refreshing one another, and honoring boundaries builds security into the relationship. And many of you who've gotten on the merry-go-round ride on the playground or you've walked across that bridge, part of the struggle, and again, not everything that happens to you in life is your fault. So I understand some people pulled that plank out from underneath you. Some people were the ones on the outside spinning that thing. There was stuff outside of your control. I totally get that. But maybe some of it was because you did not you did not have security in the relationship. Why? Because you never defined the relationship. You slid into everything in the relationship. You find yourself living with someone who's not your spouse, not because of a decision you made, because you never made a decision. You never defined the relationship. You just kind of slid into it. You, you don't refresh one another. And, and, and there was so much drama that marked the relationship. There was never this, man, when I think about you and when I spend time with you, oh, I am refreshed. And you didn't honor boundaries. God's boundaries are the boundaries of the other person. You didn't have security, so go God's way with the security. And that's what I want to close with. Just what happens when you're secure in the relationship? What happens? So many great benefits of security in a relationship. And number one, when you're secure in your relationship, you let me process out loud without fear of judgment. Oh, I'm grateful to have a wife. I have a lot of stupid ideas. I'm the king of stupid ideas. And here's why I'm so grateful for that. I, I listened this week to a guy, Jeremy Utley. He wrote the book. He's a Stanford professor. He wrote the book, Idea Flow. He was at an event that I was at, and he was talking about genius ideas. And I don't know if you know this, but Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs, everyone who worked around Steve Jobs said the number of dopey ideas he had far outweighed his brilliant ideas. But you have to go through the dopey to get to the delightful. 
And, and in the research, this is what this guy came up with. To get a truly genius idea, you have to have about 2,000 dopey ideas. And I looked at Amy, and I'm like... Because <laughs> we drive down the road, and I bring things up. We should try this. We should do this. And she's just like, <laughs> that is... A, and I know in her mind, she's going, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But every now and then, like we're thinking about our next space that we need to create here at Woodland Hills to handle some of the overflow, and, and we were trying to figure out what to call it, I wish I could give you the list of all the ideas I came up with. And most of them are completely and totally stupid. But you got to go through the process to get to that one, right? And so, and I'm just grateful for a wife that lets me process out loud without, you are an idiot, that is dumb. She lets, and I know it exhausts her. Number two, all right, you don't nitpick my flaws and shortcomings. Oh, have you been around that couple? Like everything, like they can't get on the same page for nothing. Last week we were at, no, it wasn't last week, that was two weeks ago. Ah, all right. Yeah, I don't even want to hear the rest of the story. This is so brutal. Yeah, I don't want to be a nitpicker, and I'm grateful to have a wife that doesn't nitpick. Number three, when you're secure in the relationship, you don't try to fix me. I have to ask Amy this quite, quite often when she's sharing a struggle or a problem with me. I'll ask her, do you want me to fix it, or do you just want me to feel it? There's a big difference. <laughs> I don't know if I know who's doing all that, but we're going to lunch after church. <laughs> when you're secure in the relationship, number four, you listen to my opinions and feelings without seeing them as an attack on you. You're secure in who you are. I want to be secure in who I am, and we bring that to the table. And number five, when you're secure in the relationship, you've defined the relationship you refresh one another. You have boundaries that you honor. We're going to talk more about that next week. You ask questions for greater understanding rather than responding with your point of view. You don't always have to be right. And for that, I am grateful. For the one in here who's blown it, I know there's always... Oh, they, they, I, I just want to encourage you. We say this at our church all the time. As we talk through forming relationships, and you think about the last relationship that blew apart, whether that was a dating relationship, maybe an engagement that fell apart, or maybe a marriage that fell apart. Here's what we say at our church all the time. Stop feeding your regrets and ask Jesus to redeem your remaining days. Stop feeding your regrets and, and, and press stop on the narrative that says, I can never, I can never be healed. I can, I can never find joy. Relationships will always be, listen, don't feed all those narratives and don't feed those regrets. Learn what God's word teaches. Thank God for his word and go God's way. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for what you continue to do at our church, how you continue to bring uh, a church family together that desires to help those in our community. Give us wisdom and discernment when it comes to relationships. Let us give the solid answers that you have in your word to a generation and to a culture that is clueless and chaotic in the forming of relationships. These are not our ideas that we're coming up with. They are yours that you have spelled out clearly for us in Scripture. May we teach them uh, and give the authority behind them that comes straight from you. And may we do so with a clarity and a conviction that that clarity and conviction can be found in the relationships of our church, from those with young budding love to those uh, with well-established vineyards. For the one who's never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that he's been raised from the dead, that they would be saved. We pray all this in the authority of the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said...
Amen.